Welcome to The Beginner's Guide to all things economic, political, and sociocultural. Here we will be sharing quick bites into all the topics, concepts, and theories that we all talk about but should probably know a little bit more about. I'll be doing my best to keep it all unbiased, to the point, and hopefully interesting enough to inspire you to dig a little deeper on your own. With that being said, I'm your host, Emmy Davis, and this is a beginner's guide to market forces. I have a question for you. Who or what determines how the market moves? Of course, there's no single answer. The market moves as a result of numerous factors pushing and pulling the market every which way. The market's ever-changing nature can make it confusing and difficult to decipher, especially if you don't know the major factors that are responsible for its lack of stagnation. You can look at the market in a long or short-term frame and still be dealing with the same conglomerate of influencers. The four major factors that cause fluctuation are the government, international transactions, oil and gas, speculation, and expectation, and of course, supply and demand. Let's start with a quick look at the government. The government holds an immensely large amount of influence over the market. Fiscal and monetary policy is solely up to them and their central banks. The United States Federal Reserve is essentially able to control the rate of economic growth within the country through the increase or decrease of interest rates, as well as their ability to influence the amount of dollars in circulation. While the Federal Reserve is technically a private entity, the leaders and its members are appointed by the federal government. Our Federal Reserve System serves as a banker's bank. With the Federal Reserve so intertwined with the federal government, they have, for all intents and purposes, act as another wing of the government. Another way the government can influence the amount of money making its way through the market is via taxes. The higher the taxes, the more the government has to spend at their own discretion versus the money staying in the hands of the people and interacting with the market as it was designed to do. The stockpile of money from taxes pay for an array of things from our military to public schools to lighting the streets. Once you look at it, it makes a lot of sense how the government is a major market force. But what about the international transactions? At first, this one sounds less relevant, but I think it's mainly due to the terminology. Instead of international transactions, think of it as simply the state of international trade. The story of foreign trade is a story that is most important to the vital problems of nationalism and internationalism. Countries striving for their own economic advantage, but wishing for global understanding and peace. There is a stock market to take into consideration as foreign investments are completely intertwined with it. But I still think for the purpose of this conversation, you can stick with the international trade angle. The movement of money between countries directly affects the strength of a country's economy and currency. The equation is simple. The more money leaving the country equals a weaker economy and currency. Making the opposite true, the more money coming into the country equals a stronger economy and currency. Foreign trade is the key to prosperity. In terms of trade, this means that a country that predominantly exports their goods and services should have a consistently stronger economy and currency, or at least a growing one. A country that has to import the majority of their goods and services is going to have to spend a lot of money in other countries' markets with no guarantee that it will ever make its way back to their own. The next two are more on the abstract side and are closely related. Speculation, expectation, supply and demand. Before you say, yes, I know that was technically four, not two, but you know, two plus two does not always equal four. Just kidding. They're just grouped together into two different concepts. 
So, speculation and expectation. This market force gets into the psychology of society. Consumers, politicians, investors, you, all hold different views and opinions about how the economy is and where it's going in the near and far future. Whether we always know it or not, these views and opinions dictate how and when we choose to interact with the economic market. Every single decision impacts a market in one way or another, setting off a ripple effect that will impact the future. A simple example is buying a home. Making a decision like this spurs a conversation full of speculation and expectation. When can you buy a house? How much should you save for the down payment? Do you think you should wait for a better interest rate on the mortgage or will now be the better rate than in a few months? Where do you choose to get the house? Why there over somewhere else? Is everyone in the area in the same financial position as you? Do you assume that they'll be growing at the same economic rate as you or will they decline? You get the gist. There are a million and one factors up for speculation and depending upon your conclusion, you will decide when, where, and how much you end up interacting with the economic market. Views and opinions being what they are, the potential of market volatility it can result in is not surprising. In order to get ahead of some of the potential negative repercussions, people have employed a variety of sentiment indicators to gauge how groups are feeling about the economy. Sentiment indicators are focused on findings that break up the results into the categories of investor and consumer. When the investor's and the consumer's sentiments are the same, or moving in the same direction, the confirmation of a trend can be enacted, positive or negative. On the more straightforward side of the sentiment indicators, there is the New York Stock Exchange High-Low Indicator and the Odd Lot Trading Statistics. The New York Stock Exchange High-Low Indicator looks at a stock's performance over the span of 52 weeks, one year. And the Odd Lot Trading Statistic is an indicator that focuses on the buying and selling of shares in groups of 100 or less. It is theorized that this indicator reflects the activity of non-professional investors. Majority of sentiment indicators get pretty math heavy in their explanations, so bear with me. Two of the major indicators are the CBOE Volatility Index and the S&P 500. The CBOE Volatility Index, or the VIX, measures the expected price fluctuations in the S&P 500 index options over the succeeding 30 days. The VIX, nicknamed the Fear Index, is calculated in real time by the Chicago Board Options Exchange. The results reveal investor sentiment. Actually, I'm not gonna break this down on how it's calculated, but definitely look it up if you're curious. For the sake of time, I'll just say that there is much longer than this podcast's worth of sentiment indicators to go over. Not to mention that analysis of them can be paired with the analysis of fundamental and technical indicators. Point being, there's a lot of sentiments and a lot of indicators. Rounding out the four major market forces is supply and demand. I'm honestly not sure if there's a single economic discussion that can be had that does not include supply and demand in one way or another. But in case this is your very first time hearing about it, let's quickly revisit the old definition. The law of supply and demand is a theory that explains the interaction between the seller of the resource and the buyers for that resource. Prices and rates change as supply and demand changes. If something is in demand and supply begins to shrink, prices will rise. If supply increases beyond the current demand, prices will fall. If supply is relatively stable, prices can fluctuate higher and lower as demand increases or decreases. 
The better the balance between supply and demand, the more positive it is as a market force. As I mentioned a moment ago, this idea is closely tied to sentiment and expectation. For supply and demand to be in that positive balance, sentiment and expectation need to be on the positive side as well. It's hard to convince a lot of people to spend money in the market if their sentiment towards the economy or the currency is that it's in the gutter. It can be true that one of these forces can be stronger than the others at certain periods of time. However, they're all always at play. They, along with numerous other forces I don't have time to mention, are constantly shifting in strength and in their positive and negative effects. I'm recording this in July of 2022. Over the last few months, there has been quite the debate over which market forces should be to blame for the current state of the U.S. economy. The current annual OPEC crude oil price per barrel is $97.70 as of March, compared to $69.72 last year and $41.47 in 2020. This spike has caused the price of gas at the pump to increase an average of around 91.4% from the 2020 average. Looking at something like the cost of gas is always an interesting indicator of a larger trend, especially since gas remains such a vital part of everyone's day-to-day. -day. So, what are the market forces being blamed for this astronomical rise in cost? Here's what we've been hearing. The economic hit is still being felt from the COVID-19 pandemic, which left the U.S. market in a major uphill road to recovery. Recent monetary and economic policies and government spending were irresponsible due to the state of the national debt. Regardless of why, the current inflation rate is 8.6% compared to 2.6% last year. So our currency isn't worth as much. With the U.S. still relying heavily on imported oil for gasoline, it's taking a lot more currency value out of our domestic market than it normally would. Public sentiment towards the economy has plummeted, with a Gallup poll showing that nearly 80% of Americans think the economy is less than good, and the majority of those giving it the worst categorization possible. How is expectation doing? Well, in reference to an additional Gallup poll, the current Biden administration's approval rating is 33% with the economy and inflation being the main cause for concern. So, what are the market forces being blamed for this astronomical rise in cost? My guess would be a bit of everything? I'll leave that one to you. This has been the Beginner's Guide to Market Forces. This podcast is a subject entertainment production for Free Markets Destroy, a project of the Washington Policy Center. Free Markets Destroy celebrates the power of free markets to tackle humanity's most daunting challenges. The world isn't perfect, but it's getting better every day thanks to entrepreneurs who work tirelessly to deliver life-changing innovations. Washington Policy Center is a nonpartisan, nonprofit public policy research organization that publishes studies, sponsors events, and educates citizens on vital public policy issues. For more information on either, check out freemarketsdestroy.com or washingtonpolicy.org. As always, thanks for listening and do your own research.